high school dropout with an obsession and a single goal to make his own way in the movies. It would not be easy, but then again, nothing truly great ever is. Experience the journey to make one of Hollywood's most audacious and influential films. I'm Mark Ramsey. From KCRW, listen to Fade In, Quentin Tarantino, and Pulp Fiction, a special four-part audio biopic, 100% Royale with Cheese, out now wherever you listen to podcasts. Warning, this podcast contains spoilers for season one of Yellow Jackets on Showtime and season three, episode four of The Mandalorian. Be warned. My name is Jason Concepcion. And I'm Rosie Knight. And welcome to X-Ray Vision, the Crooked Media Podcast, where we dive deep into your favorite shows, movies, comics, and pop culture. On this episode, in previously on, I will be doing a super speedy Yellow Jacket season one recap before the premiere of season two on Showtime. In the airlock, we will be walking onto that very dangerous lake again for season three, <laughs> episode four of The Mandalorian. And we've got the baby with us. He's here. A celebrity. Uh, a theory from Sean that seeks to answer another listener's theory from our March 10th episode on The Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 2. Thank you. I'm loving this inter-listener theory That's conversations good. we're That's inspiring good. here. Uh, it, as always, if you want to jump around, check out the show notes for the timestamps. They may be inaccurate. We're working on that. But check them out anyway. Coming up previously on. All right, first up, uh, we're going to be covering, first of all, Yellow Jackets Season 2 on this show, a fantastic first season. Catch up with it if you haven't. Uh, If you have, may I now introduce, uh, at the starting line, Rosie Knight, for the speed recap of Season 1 of Yellow Jackets on the beleaguered Showtime Network. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, forgive me if the episodes are incorrect. I did this from memory. Episode one. In the wilds of the woods, we see a young girl running through the forest screaming. She's chased down and killed. We then see a group of hooded figures feasting on meat. Could it be human? Mm. Dun, dun, dun. And then in New Jersey, 1996, a girls' high school soccer team head off to nationals, but their plane tragically crashes. In the present, we meet some of the survivors. Shauna, an unsatisfied housewife. Nat, a recovering addict. Misty, a very... (laughs) Misty, a very creepy caregiver, and Ty, an aspiring politician. When they begin to receiving strange blackmail notes about their time in the woods, they must band together. Episode two, as the girls try to survive the wreckage in 1996, Misty, an unpopular girl in her high school, suddenly rises to the top of the wilderness hierarchy thanks to (laughs) uncanny survivalist skills. Seems good, but quickly takes a dark turn when she purposefully smashes the blackboard because she wants to keep being popular, condemning them to what we now know as 19 months in the wild. In the present, Shauna rear-ends a very hunky and enigmatic man named Adam while Nat confronts Misty, suspecting she is behind the blackmail. When Misty claims her innocence, the pair become an unexpected buddy couple and go off to uncover the truth. In episode three, that quest... Turns tragic when Misty and Nat try to locate Travis, one of the other survivors of their time in the wilderness, but they soon discover he's already dead. Sets Nat on a spiral. And Thaisa's political campaign is suddenly hit with smears about her time in the forest. And to make things worse, her son starts to see weird visions. In the 90s, the girls find a cabin. Hopeful, but it's already inhabited by a dead body. Oh, no! Oh, no! (laughs) Terrible, terrible, terrible. Episode 4. 
Relationships are beginning to bloom. Nat and Travis cement their romance. Aww. Shauna takes Harvey under her Aww. ring. Tysa and Van find space to continue their okay. illicit lesbian affair. Love that for them. And Lottie and the religious Laura Lee start to make a Trip, strange spiritual connection yeah. that's going to end badly for everyone. In the future, Shauna and Adam begin an affair, speaking of things that are going to end badly for everyone, and Tysa gets offered a massive political donation, but... To get it, she would have to spill the beans on what happens in the woods. She rightfully says, fuck you, and it doesn't happen. Episode 5, nature takes its course in the forest, and all the girls' periods sync up. There is one exception, though. Shauna, who's revealed to be pregnant with her best best friend, Jackie's boyfriend, Jeff. It's his baby, and now Shauna's married to him. That's fucked up. In the modern day, Tysa Ah. begins to see visions of wolves, and Shauna and Jeff struggle with their marriage. And we learn Misty has been spying on Shauna. Misty's criminal ways. Oh, Misty, you crazy lady, you. (laughs) Well, she's getting crazier, because guess what? She kidnaps a journalist who is asking questions. That's okay. Yeah, you know, but then she ties her up in her bedroom and poisons her. And it turns out she's not a journalist at all. She's actually a PI hired by Tysa to check that her friends wouldn't spill. I tell you, Misty's ways... (laughs) seemingly random and crazy, but they all work out they in the end. They all work out. Look, Misty's the secret hero the Yellow Jackets need. But in 1996, she's poisoning assistant coach Ben to keep him weak and close. So I get it. A mark against her there. <laughs> Episode 6, in 1996, Lottie's connection to the supernatural continues to grow after a seance that leads her to believe she's possessed. We also learn she's <laughs> had precognitive visions before that that came true. Laura Lee baptizes Laurie. And in the future, Misty continues to keep Jessica hostage. Nat tries to find out what happens to Travis. Ty realizes her son isn't having visions. Good news. Bad news is it's her. Ty has been climbing into the tree in a very creepy fashion. Episode seven, the crew tries to catch their blackmailer. It doesn't work, but they do cover him with glitter, which will become important soon. In 1996, Ty leads a group of girls to try and get potential freedom from the forest, but they get attacked by wolves. And one of the wolves apparently kills Van. Lottie sort of foresaw the violence with a strange vision so people start to believe she's supernaturally inclined and start to follow her and we go to episode eight good news van's hey! alive Woo! bad news she wakes up already on a funeral pyre she's not happy <laughs> about it check the pulse people <laughs> she's literally like fire are you check kidding me the like, pulse. uh so van's survival and jackie's reveal that shauna is pregnant uh she knows that it's jeff is the father it inspires Laura Lee to fix up an old plane, try and fly out. Probably should have done that sooner, just going to say, like, but okay. Sadly, looks like it's all going well. Explodes over the lake. Uh, R.I.P. to Laura Lee, but to Lottie, it's a sign. The forest doesn't want them to leave. Episode 9. It might have just been a very, very old plane. It was an old plane! <laughs> the, but you know what I will say? In the episode, it's very ominous. The teddy bear yeah. sets on fire. But yeah, it's bad times. Episode 9. It's doom's coming, baby. It's Doom's coming. To celebrate the homecoming they never got to have, the girls throw a wild wilderness party. But thanks to a mix-up with Misty's magic mushrooms, they all get extremely high, non-consensually, it's an accident, and end up almost raping and killing Travis, speaking of non-consensual. They're stopped by Nat, and it was Shauna who was going to slit Travis's throat. In the modern day, she gets to finish that job, not to Travis, but to her poor boo, Adam, who she guts after becoming suspicious that he may be their blackmailer. (laughs) Very unrealistic and bad choice there, Shauna, but sure. So she kills her. Shauna then soon immediately realizes, either this episode or next, that it was actually Jeff, her husband, who was the blackmailer. Dun, dun, dun. Episode 10, she decides to set up Adam, gets her friends to chop up the body. Misty, of course, knows how to do this because that's the kind of thing she's into. And she covers for Jeff. And the pair of them kind of find their romance reignited. It's very fucked up. Those two have got some issues. She... 
then goes off to the school reunion with the girls. They have a very fun kind of time there. Shauna threatens people that she's going to kill them <laughs> if she if they tell about Jeff's blackmail. Uh, but things are not going well. Season ends badly for everyone. Jackie doesn't survive her night outside in the snow after the girls force her to sleep out there. She dies. R.I.P. to Jackie. In the future, uh, the news reports on the fact that Adam is missing and Shauna, Jeff, and their daughter Callie realize like, oh, fuck. Ty wins her election. Seems, good news. Good news. Good. Uh, bad news. Looks like she did some kind of weird blood sacrifice with her dog to get it, which her wife finds in the apartment. So she's now in the probably uh, Lottie's cult follower part. Misty kills Jessica with a poison cigarette. We'll just say she did tell Jessica to stop smoking. If Jessica hadn't smoked the cigarette, <laughs> she wouldn't have died. And Nat is kidnapped moments before killing herself and moments before she can receive a phone call that reveals that Lottie is alive and she wiped Travis's bank account before he died. Season two of Yellow Jackets begins streaming March 26th on, once again, the beleaguered Showtime Network. Uh, we will be covering that show uh, every Wednesday, I believe, here I believe on the so. uh, X-Ray Vision program. Up next, The Mandalorian. Stepping out of the airlock and into the Mandalorian training grounds for season three, episode four of The Mandalorian on Disney Plus, the episode titled Chapter 20, The Foundling, written by Jon Favreau and Dave Filoni and directed by the legend himself, Carl Weathers. You son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, let's start with the recap. So we're outside of the armorer's uh, cave. The Mandalorian covert is putting itself through some rigorous training. And let's just stop for a moment and give a real big pat on the back to whoever the Mandalorian recruiter is. <laughs> because let me tell you, folks, the Mandalorian covert is growing in an exponential pace. There is like at least 10 times as many as there was last time. And they've all got armor. They were like a D4 school. Now they're like a D1. <laughs> I don't know what they're offering these recruits. I don't know where the Beskar is coming from. But something's happening. Something is happening. And you can really feel the momentum, folks. Uh, and they're out there just fighting. Uh, Bo-Katan is kind of like strolling around, taking it all in. The Mandalorians are like hitting each other with fists, with staves, with knives. They're shooting flamethrowers at each other. They're shooting blaster bolts just like over the, <laughs> over the open lake and throwing uh, grenades into the lake. Th things live in there, folks. I what are we doing? I would say. Yeah. I don't think they've learned their lesson. I think some one of the lessons that we've kind of been talking about a lot about the Mandalorians is... This is a culture that is so focused on war and weaponry as like their main kind of mission. And I feel like the first thing they do when they get these new recruits is to once again start training them <laughs> so, for battle. Seems like it's a bad idea. Just throwing thermal detonators into the lake. Grogu uh, sits nearby taking it all in. Uh, originally, I thought he was like force arranging rocks. Yeah, but then it's, it's definitely you're meant to think it's that classic force joke of like you're moving yeah, yeah. the rocks. And I think Grogu maybe thinks that's what he's doing. But then there's a really cute. Reveal. But then it turns out that they are all crabs. And then I think Grogu certainly probably wants to eat. He the thinks crabs. he's going to eat it. But Din comes over and he's like, no, no, no. Uh, Din comes over and is like, Grogu, you're up. OK, uh, everybody's getting put through their paces. It's your turn to get put through your paces with some light sparring with one of the other foundlings. Uh, the referee of this particular bout is like, this kid is too small. <laughs> this kid is, this <laughs> He's a kid, baby. This kid is 10 inches tall. Uh, are we sure about this? But Dan is like, don't worry about it. I've seen him in real action, like do real, real stuff. 
He can handle it. Let the baby cook. Uh, the challenger, who I'm assuming is the boy from episode one. It, I was thinking that, but then like we there's don't also like a thing here about like later on about who his father is. Yeah. So it's unclear. It's another child. Uh, that is what we will say. A young child, uh, Mandalorian, uh, gets challenged, and as the challenged, gets to pick a weaponry. And it's like, well, I don't think that kid can even like hold a gun, so I'm going to go guns. <laughs> um, and then he asks Din, why doesn't he wear a helmet? He is too young to speak the credences, and therefore is too young to wear a helmet. Then he's too young to fight. I think it's a good point, but again, let the baby cook. Let the baby cook. Look, also as well, as we will point out many times in this episode— we're starting to learn that the rules about the Mandalorians very blurry. They're not a hundred percent sure what's going on with the, <laughs> with the creed or, I the, think or the helmet fun. or anything else. It's really the 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 one rule is helmet. Yeah, keep it on around other people. Everything else is kind of Calvin ball, like stuff's <laughs> moving around a lot. Uh, so the training guns come out, and it's like these little um, like paintball paint yeah. dust little wrist the blasters. Out of, like the darts that we've seen Din use. Bo-Katan very lovingly straps it onto uh, Grogu's wrist in a very, uh, very almost matronly, motherly mm-hmm. fashion. Uh, each contestant has three shots. Uh, and now here is a great example of exactly what you're saying. The way the referee explained the rules, <laughs> it seemed to me it was going to be like, okay, round one, go. And each would get one shot exactly. to shoot at each other. But that's not how it went. No. So they went round one. And the challenger shoots Grogu right in the chest with a little uh, paintball. Okay, round two. Challenger shoots Grogu in the chest with a little paintball. Yeah, it's kind of more like a jewel or something. I yeah. don't know. The rules are And unclear. then Din is like, gives him a little, pep, you know, it's like, time out, coach. Hello, time out. <laughs> Come here, kid. And then is like, listen, you can do it. I, I know what you can do. I've seen you force choke people. I've well, seen you do all the Well, this is my favorite part. Shit. He's like, I've seen it. I know I what know. you can do. Show him what you can do. And I'm thinking like, this guy is going to eat, this baby's going to force choke a child. Like, I, thought, don't I really don't thought that was going to happen. encourage that. Like, what are you talking about? But no. It's Grogu's other impressive trick that the puppeteers are very happy to show us. He's leveling up that flip. So Grogu <laughs> does a forward flip into a back flip, lands exactly where he took off, and then triple shots the kid right in the chest. Now, again, this seems like it would be against not the against the rules. Like, I thought it was one shot per round, but okay. Also, as well, I was, like, trying to work it out. I was kind of like, so... Would they be okay with him flipping because, like, the kid okay will it. one day have a jetpack or they can just see that it's valuable to have a force user? It did feel unfair, though. I got to say, the Mandalorians are kind of rednecks. <laughs> <They're just laughs> they, like don't know, they don't know what's going <laughs> on. They're just out here, like, throwing blaster shots over the lake at nothing. Yeah, also still by that same lake. Can we please recall what happened last time they were at this lake? A giant alligator, like, Lake Placid-style alligator came out and absolutely demolished them. And, like... They didn't think just like be in the cave, train well, on the they, hills. They're going to find out it was a bad choice. Um, so three points to the winner, our winner, Grogu. Um, Bo is like, did you teach him that to Din? And uh, Din says, not me. Of course, it was Luke Skywalker. Ever heard of that guy? <laughs> I think it rings a bell. Yeah. Shortly thereafter, uh, the the challenger who lost and is probably so humiliated that he lost to a 10-inch tall mm-hmm. 53-year-old baby uh, gets swallowed by a bird, by like a pterodactyl-looking bird that just swoops down, scoops the kid up, Yeah, it's like and a dragon pterodactyl bird. It's terrifying. And again, 
Seems like you probably shouldn't be chilling in this one spot, especially when we find out this is not the first time. <laughs> we'll get to that. I think we, did we choose the right planet? I don't know. Uh, the Mandalorians are like, okay, we got to go after this bird. Good choice. But wah, 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 they start running out of gas. Paz, Paz Vizsla runs out of gas chasing the bird. What's happening, guys? He's just chilling like on he's the, like, and, he like, and he's like just chilling on the cliff. He's like, oh, I ran out of gas. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm like, did you not check before you went? Like, do you have more gas? And if so, why did you not fill up beforehand? Luckily, uh, Bo-Katan has a full-on spaceship. Oh, yeah. She's uh, like, absolutely not. And she follows the bird all the way back to its lair, a.k.a. its nest. Uh, and she comes back and she's like, hey, I know where the nest is. Uh, and a search party is arranged. Um, but they're not going to leave until the morning, apparently, the next day. So it's going to be a full, like, let's be, we'll give it, we'll say it's like 10 to 12 hours yeah. until they set out. And there are certain rules because this bird is very canny. And we understand, as as you said, Rosie, that this is like at least the second time yeah, that the like, bird is snatched like, oh, someone. Oh, you know, the bird never brings them back. And I'm like, <laughs> my guy, what do you mean? Like, we this like, happened to you before? We need to take precautions. How it's- many Mandalorians are there that you're just willing to <laughs> sacrifice one? I know you're maybe, doing a good job at recruiting, but please, this is Maybe dangerous. that's what happened to the boy from the first episode. <laughs> R.I.P. to every Mandalorian that got eaten um, by this bird or killed by a giant alligator. So, uh, so they they start they huddle together because of, again they do have some experience with this bird, seeing as it how it has been eating various members of their tribe for X amount of weeks. So they're like, okay, <laughs> well we can't use jetpacks around it because it'll hear it and it'll eat the kid. Okay, so no jetpacks. So that means how are we going to get up to the nest? Aha! The armor is like, I'm going to get you the extra, extra, extra long grapnels out of store. I'm going to go back into the storage closet and get the really long grapnel yeah. cables. Yeah, and Bo's also like, by the way, I just used to casually climb mountains like yeah, this so when I'm, I was training, I'm, so don't worry about it. Which also begs the question, there wasn't one other Mandalorian who was trained that way who could have climbed the mountain to get back whichever kid got fed before? Problems in the well, Mandalorian I mean, organization. That was a very Star Wars line from Bo, you know, very like, oh, I, I used to, I used to uh, bomb womp rats. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, you know, yeah. Like that it's, kind of- and it's true, like, in the in some of the greater, like, expanded books, especially, like, the Princess Leia book by Claudia Gray, which I love, you learn about the kind of challenges that royalty have yeah. to often go through and these kind of trials they do. But, yeah, I thought it was really funny. She was just like, I can climb up there, no worries. Yeah, don't worry and the was like, great, I got a grapple and hook for you. <laughs> Those went, <laughs> went really long. well, really Extra well for you used them last time for the alligator. So they all fly off in Bo's ship. And uh, that leaves Grogu in the armor to just kind of chill. And so the armor is like, Grogu, you're too young to go on this uh, on this mission. Unfortunately, you're 10 inches tall. You are 53 years old, but a baby still. You can do a flip, but like that's not that yeah, impressive. Yeah, that's not that good. Uh, so come back with me uh, into the armory and uh, let's just have a chat. I want to say, I feel like for, for Grogu... I know he loves Din, but I feel like there he is. Look at him. Exactly. I, I just want to say, I f- yeah, I feel like he didn't want to, like, he he didn't choose the Jedi way. And because he was probably sick of all the training, he just likes to, like, sleep and eat. And I feel like she's like, come, you just now, she's like, you've got to learn all these Mandalorian ways. And he's probably like, oh, for fuck's sake. Like, I'm not sure if I'm really into that. Like, Jedi training's intense, but Mandalorian training's, like, 
stupider and intense, but it's actually okay because he doesn't really have to get trained. He just has to get a cool gift from the armorer. It's kind of like Skyrim where you can join multiple guilds. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. That's kind of like what Grogu is doing. Like he's in the Jedi guild already. He has the force so yeah. and has gotten training from the very, very best. From and the so fan, like, from fanciest man. So now let's get some Mandalorian training. Um, uh, so they go into the forge and then the armor is like, this is the forge. This is the heart of Mandalorian culture. I think Grogu's got it. But by the way, like armor, we got it. Grogu's been here a little also, while. Also, like, let's be like, real. Grogu's already wearing like a sick chain metal. Yeah, that's kind of 101. He understands. He knows what's going on. That's definitely like Mando pre-101. Like seen he the knows, He knows that much of it. Also, there's only one room. There's only one structure here at base <laughs> everyone, camp. Everyone it's else is out on the beach it's getting eaten. It's literally just the forge. Like You don't <laughs> have to explain the one place that there is. Um, uh, and then so the uh, Grogu looks on as the armor is uh, hammering out some Beskar plate and the armor is talking about like how uh, you know, Beskar it comes from donations. Like all the, all the members of the tribe go out and they find different little bits of Beskar and they bring it back. Uh, and then the p- sound of the pounding, the pounding, the mm-hmm. hammering seems to really have Grogu upset. And I got to tell you, this is the most emotionally, like, vulnerable and raw puppet of all time. I'm because, telling like, you, he's, I he's was putting like, the Muppets out of business. Like, I was I'm like, believing it. Armor, fucking stop hammering. You are upsetting the baby. Please you are giving it. him PTSD or you are awakening the PTSD he already has from Order 66. Look at the baby, Armor. What's wrong crying. with you? crying. Um, and, you know, the, we see this look of, of, of real sadness and grief and then pain crossing over uh, Grogu's face. And then uh, all of a sudden we are back at the night of Order 66 in Grogu's memories. There's a bunch of Jedi that are trying to hold off the clone troopers. They're getting gunned down. Clone troopers, the, the hammering that Grogu is hearing is the clone troopers hammering through this mm-hmm. door and they get it open. Uh, and and the Jedi's managed to spirit Grogu into an elevator really quickly, and they send it down. And when it stops, there's a Jedi there waiting for him. And it's our friend, Kelleran Beck, played <gasps> by the one and only Ahmad Best, a.k.a. Jar Jar Binks. And the crowd goes wild. And the crowd goes wild. <laughs> Kelleran Beck, uh, the sabered hand, carries two uh, lightsabers, and boy, can he use them uh, quite well because he makes very short work of yeah, these Yeah, he, he, and I think this is, this is really important on two levels. One, because it's not like a character people know, it might feel a little bit anticlimactic, but this is an answer to the big question that we've been asking, which who is saved, who saved Grogu? Who saved, who saved Grogu? I love that they gave this to Ahmed. He's been through so much yes, he's because been a, of very open about the, <laughs> the trials and tribulations yeah. of being involved in Star Wars and what it did to him. And I've loved to see him kind of being brought back into the Lucasfilm fold, first with some really fun like quiz shows he was doing with kids stuff, and now to see him be the one who saved the child, arguably like the most important role and biggest answer in this question, and to get to be a badass Jedi. It's pretty great. It was really cool. So uh, Kelleran gets uh, Grogu on a speeder, and they fly off uh, through the uh, skyline of Coruscant, troopers in pursuit, uh, and it's a wonderful dogfight. The chase enters a train tunnel with uh, Kelleran playing chicken with the train. He wins, uh, and then he tells Grogu, who is obviously quite panicked by all of this, Hey, don't worry, we're going to meet up with some friends of mine and then crash land on a platform floating above the city. And uh, the people that Kelleran is there to meet are some soldiers from Naboo. Yeah. So Naboo is involved. 
there's a lot of Naboo in this series, what with the ship and with and I, the prequels. It's, yeah, it's very prequelsy. It feels like we're going to, wherever we're heading is going to involve Naboo in some form or fashion, and certainly uh, it 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 certainly appears that Grogu's history is going to intersect with uh, Naboo somehow. Um, and but as soon as they land there to get Grogu on this ship with the Naboo guardsmen, the clone. Troopers find them. Now there's a big uh, firefight, and Beck and Grogu get on the Nabooian ship, and they head for hyperspace. Grogu comes out of his reverie after, you know, his memory basically ends as they're in that hyperspace tunnel. He comes out of it. The armorer completely oblivious to this. <laughs> She's like, just still yammering on about this is flash. the way. Here's all the, uh, hey, uh, Grogu, all the shit that you've heard before. I'm just like still yeah, talking about I'm it. I'm making you some armor. Did you know, hey, uh, Grogu, did you know that uh, Mandalorians wear Beskar armor? Do you uh, know what Beskar is? Right. And did you know that we make it here in the forge, me. which by the way is the heart of I'm the armor. I make <laughs> That's it. That's me. I'm, and she's I'm melting it. <laughs> um, and then she tells him about the tithing, the act of donating. And then she makes him this little cute little chest plate. And then I think it needs a strap, but apparently I'm not an armorer. I'm so like, is it I'm magnetic? Not <laughs> like, Does it just I, like I don't chill do this for a living. on the chest? I feel like it's a, it's a very weighted moment. We see Grogu's armor growing, but also I'm like, you know, at some point something's going to get shot and that's going to be what saves him. But it was very like, here it is. It yeah, has Chekhov's the mythosaur on yeah. it. Yeah, very Chekhov's armor. So yeah, she just places it like a plate on his chest. Is it, it magnetic? That's what we need to find out. Maybe it connects. But again, we don't, we don't do this. We're not armorers. We don't do this for a living. <laughs> Maybe and, she like uh, tucks it you into know? his little cute furry jacket. But yeah, it doesn't look secure to me. So we go over to the search party. Um, that includes uh, Paz, which you can find out why he's so interested in going on this little uh, Like minorly interested. <laughs> yeah, he's a very stoic guy. And Din, they arrive at the bird's lair, and then they're like, hey, let's wait it out. Let's not go right now. Let's, in fact, wait another night. So now it's going to be 24 hours before they go and challenge this bird. Just keep track of that time. So the, the first thing they do is, like, it's time to camp. And, the you know, around the campfire, the food's coming out. And Bo, who is, again, very disconnected from her Mandalorian identity, her culture, is, like, uh, strolls over to Dinah's like, what do we, how does it work with eating? Like, what do we do? And Dinah's like, you just, everybody just kind of goes off on their own to eat. You know, so nobody can. Okay, see so it. we're adding another layer here to this Mandalorian lore. Is like, so you can take your helmet off near other people as long as they are not looking at you and you are not looking at them. But we have also seen people eat and drink like. <laughs> I, I like. There, so. I, that's my personal favorite. Yeah, you the, just want to see someone eat a slice method. of pizza like under the helmet. Uh, and Bo's about to head off, but then Paz is like, "No, no, no! You're the, you're the, you're the war party leader. You get to eat by the fire. That's like your honor. So that's pretty cool." Now, uh, you know, Chris and Saul, super producers Chris and Saul, had had a good question, which I think we're all thinking about uh, because <laughs> soon let's ask it. Let's well, ask let's the ask important question because soon after this, Paz is like, "Hey, P.S. I know it's been now uh, a day." Since we've been on this hunt to get this kid back, P.S. It's my kid. It's, oh, my, it's my kid. It's so my that's kid. why I'm here. So, <laughs> right. So if like, let's say that it is his uh, biological child, he fathered yeah. a child with another Mandalorian, perhaps. You lead uh, armor. What happens? Does it stay on? Does it come? Do you take off? the helmet off? 
Right. Is it just bumper cars? Is that yeah, what's is going it on? Like, what is the uh, what is the situation here? Is there like flaps and like? <laughs> Uh, we I need, need to, to know. know. Yeah, uh, John Favreau, Dave, Dave Filoni, Dave and Dave and John. I know you've <laughs> thought. Don't sit there and tell me you haven't thought about Give it. Give us a call. We need to understand. We got to know what happens. So then uh, it's the next morning again. Twenty four hours since this uh, child has been in the clutches of the bird. Boz is like, hey, if we try to fight the bird, it'll kill the boy. Because that's what's happened before. Oh, my gosh. He How says, many others, my friend? He friends? says it has happened before when it has taken others. Which So now we say from one to others. To, to potentially, like, I guess, like, single digits. Hey, Mandalorians, like, can we set up some auto cannons or something? Can you make or like your kids a sleep in the cave? High-frequency something that, like, yeah. d- just chases away the bird. Why are we just letting people get snatched up by birds all the time? Anyway... The, the bottom line is stealth. Got to yeah. be stealthy. You have to sneak up on the bird. So they use their wrist cables. <laughs> they scale the cliffs. It is very hard work. But again, Bo has done this. She's been doing this. She's, just, she's chilling. They get, and they, they have the really long grapnel cables. Shouts in the armor. Thank you very much. B- uh, P.S. She's in the forge, which is the heart of Mandalorian culture. She made those grapnels. <laughs> uh, They're very important to <laughs> Mandalorian culture, those grappling So hooks. they get up to... I, you know, I don't know what I was expecting, but it is exactly what it should have been, which is a fucking huge Bird nest. nest. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, a yeah. giant ass. It's, it's very like dark nest. crystal. And very skexies. Din Din uh, goes to heat mode and is like, "Hey, I see a heat source." Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. Other, about fifty yards. I feel into like the you guys nest. should have been using that before you got to the nest to kind of work out where you were meant to be. Paz is like, "That's my son, <laughs> and I fucking care now, and I'm gonna run over and I'm gonna get." He's the- like, "I've got gas in my jetpack now, baby." But guess what? It's just like three massive, yeah, giant bird babies, baby bird dragons. Bird They're really cute. And just as it's the bird babies are like emerging from the straw. Uh, the mommy returns and immediately <laughs> vomits the kid up. To which the only question that needs to be asked at this point is: Has this child been in this bird's for belly for twenty-four hours at least? And wow, the Beskar is good shit. Can I just that say that is if that is the case, you, Beskar is strong. Would you ever? Well, it is the center of Mandalorian culture, Jason. Yes, right. right, um, right. But like. Would you ever forgive your dad if you found out that he was just like chilling at a campfire, like right. eating dinner hey, while we'll you tomorrow. were being digested? I know we could go right now to when the they might nest, be asleep. But let's go tomorrow morning, and then after we go tomorrow morning, let's then camp out for another twelve hours, then go at dawn the next morning. Yeah, I mean, you got you're talking about at least forty eight hours in that in that bird's belly. Yeah, but if you're gonna get murked by a bird, then are you really the stuff of Mandalorians? You know, like, <laughs> oh, you've like, got to like, prove it. I feel you, I feel you. It's like, he's he's gonna have to live with that shame for also, the rest of his life. He did also get beat by the baby. Like, what are 24 hours for this Ooh. child? Got beat by a baby. Flat out, and, and the baby cheated. I'm yeah. just gonna say it. The baby fucking cheated. And then everyone backed the baby. Yeah, everyone backed the baby. It was like, yeah, fuck it. Uh, three shots in one round, yeah, go, that's fine. And then, his dad shaded him because he said to him, you don't speak if you don't know. Yeah, like he did something speak. wrong. Like then eaten by a bird. Delightful. Twenty four hours in a bird's belly. Dad, just eat in, some in food. not really, in not really a rush to save him. Uh, and then dad almost gets his ass kicked by baby birds. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, the mama bird freaks out that there's all these armored Mandalorians, and it's 
home next to its babies. Who she's which just is trying to feed, by the way. Just trying to feed. Like, uh, obviously you want to get the kid back, but this it's just the doing— It's nature. It's just doing its motherly instinct thing. It grabs the kid in its talent foot, and it flies off. The Mandalorians give chase, and luckily they have they have gas this time. And they—remember when they said, like, don't shoot it because it'll eat the kid? Now they're doing everything. They're shooting cables <laughs> at it. They're shooting nets at it. They're flying up and trying to stab it in the eye with knives. They're just like, ah, you know what? Lose, lose the kid. We got to kill the bird. Like, whatever just happens. kill this bird. Uh, and Organizational problems. Eventually, they get the bird to let go of the kid. Din manages to, you know, uh, jetpack down and snatch him up before the kid hits the water. The mama bird sadly does hit the water and is quickly swallowed up by one of those crocodiles that we saw in episode one. R.I.P. to the mama bird. Again, just trying just to trying save the kid. I just want to say something as well. You're telling me uh, that a better plan wouldn't have just been find the mama bird while she's flying, holding the kid, shoot her so that she lets go of the kid and then one of you uses the jetpack to catch her. I'm saying this is basically, this is very Walking Dead logic. You did 25 <laughs> things to get back to the thing. We at, at the very least, we didn't need to wait a day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Even the Grogu's, baby fell asleep. He Grogu's was like, that was like, a terrible yeah. idea. We didn't need to wait a day. Also, like, why... Why are we never using the stun feature in our blasters? Only, you know, like, can we set to stun a few times, not just when we're <laughs> shooting Princess Leia? Mm-hmm. Like, anyway, um, we head back to the covert. Everybody's happy as they should be, including Grogu. They go to meet Bo's ship. The war party comes out, and everybody's cheering, and Din goes over, picks up Grogu, like, we did it. We killed a mama bird. Yeah, baby. Yeah, it's like, dead. it's okay. It's dead. We killed this bird that probably wouldn't have attacked us if we'd have camped anywhere else except for this extremely dangerous lake. And the armorer comes out, and she's like, bo you have honored your house and all of Mandalore. You have done the highest honor of the creed. Saving a foundling. This is the way. This is the way. This, this is, is the way. The way. All around. This is the way, baby. And Bo says, guess what? We got more foundlings. Wait, what? That's right. <laughs> The three babies who you <laughs> thought were orphaned. You thought they were just going to starve to death? No, 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 no. Bo said absolutely not. Bo said absolutely not. This is kind of fucked up what we did. And I'm thankful for Bo for this. We are taking these three big baby birds in, and you know what's going to happen. We're going to see Mandalorians riding, riding these riding sick, birds. like, dragon birds. Absolutely. Um, I just I just want to say, though, this yeah. is, I agree. I'm glad Bo did this. I was cheering when those giant baby dragon birds came out of the ship. I love the idea that you'd have to make helmets for them it's great but this <laughs> does speak to another issue with the mandalorian there's a lot culture. of kidnapping love kidnapping there's lots a lot of, of kidnapping. murdering a parent and then being like i shall raise you now it's a lot and of kidnapping it's gonna end badly for well them. i you know to be fair the jedis flat out kidnap as oh, well exactly it's the same. Like, it's it's a, it's, a, it's a cultural problem it's throughout a the galaxy very, very very cultural problem a lot of kidnapping uh, the armor then takes Bo into uh, the forge which is the heart of mandalorian culture to do some repairs on her armor uh, and Bo is like, looks at the Mythosaur bust on the wall and is like, hey, Mythosaur. And Armor's like, yeah, Mythosaur. Uh, and she's like, um, you know what? Since you're doing these repairs and I need a new pauldron, can you make me a Mythosaur pauldron? I think that. And um, and the Armor's like, that's fucking great. I love that. That's, yeah, as she's like, Mythosaur. any any Mandalorian can wear one. And that's a big moment for Bo on that yeah. kind of reconnecting with the like more now, more contemporary Mandalorian culture. And then so then Bo is like, let me ask you a question. What would you say if I told you I saw a Mythosaur? If I saw mm-hmm. one. And the Armor is just like, I'd say you were very lucky. And Bo is like, 
no, 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 no. You don't get it. Like I really saw like one. A, not like a action. visual. Yeah, like yeah, a yeah, real yeah. one. Like a real one. Like I didn't have a dream. This was like a real myth. Like I saw it. And the armor is just like very flatly. Okay, great. This is the way. That's good. <laughs> I gotta I'm gonna go to the bathroom. The yeah, armor is just like this armor, is the way. No reaction. Can nope. I get any kind of a like? I both must be like what? Like can uh, I get no? Holy shit! The mythosaurs are back. Nope. Nothing. I know. I wonder when she said this is the way. It's like it's such a it's such a heavy line because it's like does she not believe Bo? Is what she's actually saying like this is Bo the way? Bo must be so does, confused now. Yeah, exactly. Because she's expecting that everyone's going to be like, oh my god, this is it. But maybe the armor's acceptance is just like. Well, yeah, that's like that's the way. Now you're going to ride the mythosaur. Mandalore's going to rise again. But it is like so funny Bo how have, absolutely flat, just flat. Bo must have been like, "Why did I keep this secret for like uh, who knows a week? Yeah, two yeah, weeks yeah. Like, why didn't I just tell? Then why, why didn't I just tell anybody? Because the armor is just like okay. I mean, Bo could so, have told great. them around the campfire. Great. They probably would have been more into it. The armor is not bothered. The armor is like, they where's can't the best because car? They can't because they all walk away from each other. <laughs> they can't have that guys, conversation. Guys, <laughs> Hey, so where, I don't know where anybody is, but uh, I just want to say, I saw a Minazor. <laughs> who said that? Yeah, who, who is that? That's this is Bo. <laughs> X-Ray Vision will be back. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 7. My trip to South Dakota was the best summer ever. Now I don't need to go to Mars because I've been to the Badlands. And I caught a bigger walleye than Dad when we went to the Missouri River. Then I rode my bike through these huge rocks called needles. Ooh, I also saw my first herd of bison, even a fuzzy furry baby one. I can't wait to go back and see more. There's so much South Dakota, so little time. And we're back. Why do you think the armor is? Is the armor? Does she just like know it's back, or she, was she expecting it? What is this reaction? I do. I think the armor's whole thing is kind of like led by preordained Mandalorian kind of lore and belief. So to her, it's like, okay, this woman that I never saw, who was never part of our covert, has now appeared. And suddenly she's also seen a mythosaur. Well, she was down in the mines of Mandalore. You know what can I, what else can I say? This is the way. Like, I guess she's just going to, I think that hints that she accepts that the mythosaurs are back and probably that Bo, maybe she thinks it's Din, but I think in the way she speaks about Bo's probably going to be the one who rides. Let me ask you, Armor, if I'm Bo, I'm like, Armor, why the fuck are we still hanging out here? The planet is open for Mm -hmm. business. We can go back. And P.S., Packed with Beskar. So like, much Beskar. We talked about this the other day. Like, where? why aren't they going there mining that Beskar? To why the isn't guilt. there even just two people who got sent there? Yeah, I mean, the armor, like, probably what would she say to you? She'd be like, this is the way. Yeah. That's, that's like all she has now, to say. Now, there are there are some hostiles in the area. Mm-hmm. Like, that's going to happen. But you guys are heavily armed. And the Mandalorians love to kill a creature. Love so to kill a creature. they'll just be happy to do it. They've been doing it. Every episode, <laughs> They've been doing baby. it every episode. Every They've episode. Been slaughtering mother birds oh. and... Cool har- crocodiles. Crocodiles that are just trying to eat. Just go... Why don't you do it on your home world? I know. It does... I do wonder. This might be reading too much into it because I feel like the armor is a, still a very enigmatic figure. But it does feel like the armor has a reason to not go yeah, back to Yeah, what is Mandalore. the reason to That's not what go I want to know because I feel like Din went there... 
Din was redeemed, so you must believe that Din went into the living waters in the mines of Mandalore. If that is the case, surely you would immediately just send an exploratory group there unless there was a reason you didn't want to go. And that's what I'm kind of most interested in. There must be a reason, or maybe it's that some of the coverts still aren't like sold on it's not radioactive anymore or something, but like why not just go back? But then why let Bo and Din in? Because surely they'd make you sick. You know, I I think it's very mysterious. How many episodes is this season? Because I feel like they're going to start to need eight episodes, so we're halfway through at this point. Yeah. I feel like they have to start to ramp up the answers to some of these questions. Uh, as everyone knows, I'm a big fan of the sequential kind of pulpy style. Like you could go and see it in a cinema on a Saturday morning or you watch on Saturday morning TV. So I like these kind of adventures. I love to see Carl Weathers back directing again, yeah. always the legend, having the most fun making this show. But I feel like halfway through the season, are they going to go back to Mandalore? They have like, to. Uh, what happened with that kind of Andorian kind of cloning Snoke hint situation like there's many different threads and i'm very interested to see whether the second half of this season is just going to be tying them up it feels like the last it feels like we end with the recolonization of mandalore like they're going home they have to go home at some point you can't stay on this fucking bird infested crocodile infested they're worried about their numbers and yet they're staying on this planet where multiple people are getting eaten what's it make the nest out of where are the trees it makes it with the bones of all the Mandalorians. It's eaten. Because <laughs> there's others. Uh, these questions and more will be answered on a weekly basis right here on the X-Ray Vision program as we cover The Mandalorian Season 3. Up next, Nerd Out. Today's Nerd Out, where you tell us what you love and why, or a theory that you're excited to share, Sean from Maryland has his own theory in reply to a previous theory from listener Swati and Emily about the increasing number of Mandalorian recruits, which is very relevant to this episode. Uh, Sean says he's a longtime listener, first-time emailer. Quote, heard the latest fan theory posted by your listeners. The easiest explanation for the large number of recruits might be this— they are leftover clones. <gasps> Since the clones are based on Jango Fett's DNA, they could be genetically Mandalorian. They would all be older and former troopers, which would also explain why they suck so bad when fighting <laughs> the crocodile. <laughs> the crocodile disrespect well, will never actually, end. You know what? I would not be shocked if, like, at least a handful of these Mandalorians mm-hmm. are Jango clones. Yeah, I think that's actually a really great idea. Not just necessarily... Um, because of like the like the idea of genetic Mandalorians, but the whole point of Mandalorians is that anyone can join and take the creed. Yeah. So it would make sense that you would end up with soldiers and people who had left or escaped the Empire, putting on the helmet, never having to be seen again, not having to be recognized, being able to start a new life. I think that's very smart, actually. And I think there's also like... I know we we had a lot of jokes this episode because it's like a very funny situation. But like there's something emotionally weighty and moving oh, there for that sure. could be explored. And that's kind of the thing that Star Wars does so well, especially expanding out in these stories about clones, about Mandalore and the well, wider world. Well, I think, you know, with the inclusion of, of Keller and Beck and Ahmed Best, it is really a continuation of the kind of philosophy that Dave Filoni has taken Mm -hmm, when approaching mm -hmm. this material, which is how do we 
fix the bad stuff? Yeah. How do we fix and in, it? And in the armor best casting, it's about fixing something that happened in the real world, which yeah. adds this kind of meta text. So I think there's something very interesting there. I would be sad to know that those wonderful, you know, people who had tried to find a new place, these troopers who were used in a way that they didn't have much consent, would end up in the Mandalorian. Ah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He agrees with me. That they would end up in the Mandalorian sect and immediately die by being beaten by a crop tail. That breaks my heart. But I hope that if that is the case, that we might get to learn a little bit more about their stories. Because I think that's a great, I think that's a great theory. Thank you, Sean. If you have theories or passions that you want to share, hit us up at xray at crooked.com. Instructions in the show notes. That is it for us. Rosie, any plugs? Plugs, 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 plugs. Plugs, plugs, plugs. Oh, um... You can find me here. I have a, a newsletter that I started that's going to be rec- a lot of recommendations because I get a lot of requests for recommendations by our listeners and I don't have time, unfortunately, to reply to them. So I'm going to be recommending books and comics and maybe some TV and film. Uh, it's called Rosie Recommends. The sh- lovely Saul will put it in the show notes. Also, I'll just say... Uh, you should watch Shadow and Bone if you haven't watched it. It's on Netflix. I love it. This season, they added some really great new cast members like Lewis Tan and kind of really heavy, cool martial arts action. And it's just a really fun, inclusive fantasy series. Uh, also, if you're excited for Yellow Jackets, you can check out my primer coverage over at IGM, where I've been writing a ton about season one and what to expect for season two. Catch the next episode on Wednesday, March 29th for our catch-up horror-themed episode, including our discussion of the premiere of Yellow Jackets Season 2. And don't forget, we're bringing you two episodes a week. That's twice the tinfoil hat theories, twice the deep dives, twice the everything. X-Ray Vision Podcast, Wednesday and Fridays, wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, and you can also... Go to YouTube and subscribe to X-Ray Vision there. You can see full episodes. You can see us messing around with this beautiful baby. And you can follow us at XRVPod on Twitter. Exactly. And check out the Discord to meet tons of amazing fans and listeners. And me and Jason are there. Five-star ratings, five-star reviews. We love them. We got to have them. You got to give them to us. Here's one from Smith Cakes obsessed with this podcast. Thank you, Smith. Oh, I'd love to hear it. Jason and Rosie are amazingly knowledgeable and passionate. I find myself listening to their episodes about stuff I don't even watch just because I love them so much. Thank you, Smith. Thank you. Means the world. X-Ray Vision is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin. The show is executive produced by myself and Sandy Gerard. Our editing and sound design is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Dylan Villanueva and Matt DeGroote provide video production support. Alex Relaford handles social media. Thank you, Brian Vasquez, for our theme music. See you next time. Bye. Hey, Mike, this is His Not For Me. Yeah, I just want to talk about the Mandalorian uh, team today. They got a, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a uh, alumnus uh, from the Mandalorian University. I just got to say, they got a five-star recruit that you're going to go crazy for. His name is Grogu. He's now, don't look at his stats, Mike, because if you look at his stats, you're going to be like, what's so special about this kid? He's 10 inches tall. He's 53 years old uh, with, with a four-inch wingspan on the arms. But, Mike, this kid, the agility, you not, you're not going to believe it. He does flips. This kid's doing full flips over, back, forward. He's choking people. It's against the... He, and the referees love him, Mike. That's the other thing. You watch his, his AAU games. This kid's taking five steps on every drive. And the referees are just like, fuck it. It's fine. I'll take my hands off the air, Mike. Thank you.